All right, good morning and welcome to our Sunday morning service. I just want you to know on behalf of Pastor, he's on way on vacation right now, and I know that he misses being here. It is uh, hard for a pastor to be away, particularly on a Sunday morning. So on his behalf, I just send, you know, he misses you and he wishes he could be here, although he's enjoying time with his family. And so it is wonderful that he can do that. And I feel very privileged uh, to be here this morning, and he entrusts me with the pulpit that God has allowed him to shepherd over. And so be praying for him as they've been lots of traveling and seeing family and different things, and they'll be back later this week. So be in prayer for Pastor, but welcome. And if you're a visitor here, if you can find an usher, get a visitor's card, and your offering to us can be to drop that information uh, in that box in the back there or hand it to an usher or someone at the welcome desk when you leave, and that'd be very much appreciated. And uh, hope you feel welcome, and we're going to have Braxton come with some more announcements. Good morning, and as uh, Pastor Josh was saying, that pastor is gone, and for that reason, we kind of have a, a low week this week, no events going on, but next week after his return, he starts back up with his ABBI classes, um, so look forward to being those on Tuesday nights as well as Wednesday. We have a True Tracker, so not this Wednesday, the following Wednesday is a True Tracker crazy hat night. That Thursday is a ladies' meeting. And even the following Sunday, there's a teen inspiration. There are some things to start signing up for in the church um, on the bulletin boards. We have some prayer breakfast. We have door-to-door. So we'd like to have you guys just swing by there, just look at what's coming up. But nothing this week. Pastor Josh. We're going to open our service with the scripture, the opening scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For... The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fathers, we come before you in prayer, and we think about this opening passage of Scripture. Would we allow it to speak to our hearts and to our minds, to recognize we are to be content, not to covet? Father, everything that we have that we think is ours, that belongs to us, is really on loan from you, from our lives, our possessions, and our children have been given to us as a gift from you. Father, would we use these things to bring honor and glory for the name and for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose precious name we pray. Amen. And our theme for worship, which I forgot, is let's reflect on our need to invest in eternity, not this present world. 
Well, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us for worship this morning. Please stand, open your hymn books to hymn number 466, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, God of Glory, Lord of Love. Let's sing all three verses. Sing out this morning. singing. Please be seated as we turn to hymn number 456, I Belong to the King. Hymn number 456. We'll sing all three verses.
great singing. Let's turn back just a couple pages to hymn number 454. 454, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. scripture reading for this morning will be found in the Gospel of Luke. We'll be reading Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. The scriptures say, and one of the company said unto him, 
Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God.
Amen. We're going to continue our singing this morning as we turn to hymn number 477. He keeps me singing. Please stand with me. Hymn number 477, we'll sing verses 1 and 2, and then after the second verse, we'll take a moment, greet one another, and we'll come back together and sing that last verse. 477, he keeps me singing. song before the preaching, number 151 in our blue book, I Run to Christ. We'll sing all three verses. We'll sing that last verse a cappella. Sing out this morning, I Run to Christ.
Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. 
All right, junior church, those ages four to seven, may, dis- may dismiss at this time, those for junior church ages four to seven. Thank you so much for the singing and the specials, appreciate it very much. And we're going to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 13. Luke 12, starting in verse 13. And we're going to look what Christ encouraged us and cautioned us to take heed and beware of covetousness. To take heed and beware of covetousness. Let's start in Luke 12, verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Father, we thank you for this passage that you've given to us. The privilege we have to gather this day in this country, in this state, to assemble together as a local congregation and allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to help us understand the truths within this passage, within this text. That we of your children may be more like our Savior Jesus Christ. Would we be able to think biblically about how to live our life dealing with this covetousness. And Father, if there's any that don't know Christ as their Savior, would they inquire more about who Jesus Christ is and why he would so speak these truths about covetousness. Be with us now and do your work in the hearts and lives of your people for the name and for the glory of your Son and our Savior, of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Take heed and beware of covetousness. I'm going to back up where a pastor was last week just to hit some highlights, just very briefly, to help us understand the text that we're in. So some reminders of the previous passage there in Luke 1 through 12. Just going to hit a couple highlights there. In verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people. That's a lot. (laughs) Insomuch that they trod one upon the other, 
and began to say unto his disciples, first of all. So you have a lot of people gathered. And in the midst of all these people, pastor pointed out that phrase there at the end of verse one where he says, and he began to say unto his disciples, first of all. So in this massive group of people, hard to number, he's focusing in on a select group that he's going to teach this lesson and he's going to about to share. And what does he tell them? He tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then we see the next couple of verses how God will choose to reveal that day. You can't do anything secret. There is nothing that we can think, do in secret that God does not already know. And so he can reveal these truths. There is nothing hidden from him. Their hypocrisy of the Pharisees will be revealed someday. You will see the fruit of their teaching. In fact, some may already be seeing that. Then also, the next couple verses in 4 and 5, he says, And I say unto you, friends, be not afraid of them which kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Christ is reminding his friends here, the disciples first of all, we need to fear God more than you fear men. Oh, these Pharisees may be religious and have long prayers on the street corners and get the nice seats in the synagogues and they dress and talk nice and they wash their hands before meals. But it is better to fear God who has power over eternity than these men that may give blessing or their approval here on earth. So we are to fear him who has power over eternity. Verses eight and nine, just hitting a couple highlights. He says, also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the son of man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. We are to confess that Jesus Christ is the son of man. Not just the master, not just the teacher, but truly the son of man, being the Messiah, the long-awaited one. This is whom we ought to fear. This is whom we can learn of who God is. And then in verses 10 through 12, we just see that we're not to blaspheme against the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost points men to Christ. He works in, in the hearts and lives of the unbeliever to convict them of their sin, to trust in Christ as their Savior, to recognize that we are not righteous in our own ways, and so that we need Christ. That is whom we must fear. That is who we must believe in to get to heaven. Those are just some quick highlights from last week going into this week. And with those thoughts in mind, he picks it up in verse 13. Where verses 13 through 15, we're going to see that one person from the people is going to speak. So let's look at this in verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide inheritance with me. So this guy in the group, so you have this big company, one speaks up and says to Christ, hey, 
you need to tell my brother that he needs to divide the inheritance with me. That's what he's saying here in verse 13. Now, there's many different things that could have taken place here. I'm just going to share some of my thoughts, possible scenarios, and then we'll get to there's some wrongdoing nonetheless. So it could be one or both of the brothers could be holding back or desiring more material goods. So this brother, in some way or another, he feels cheated of his brother. So the situation is most likely like this. You probably have a father who has passed on. He wants to leave an inheritance, or he's really old, getting ready to leave inheritance to his brothers. There's at least two of them here. I don't know how many, but we'll just say two. And this brother, here's this Jesus, here's him speaking, one with authority, and he's thinking, wait a minute. This guy can help me get what I want. This is a great teacher. He speaks as one having authority. My brother has done me wrong, and this guy is going to help me get it. Maybe the brother did withhold back something. Maybe he's holding back a larger portion than what he was supposed to. Maybe this brother just wants exactly in half. Because the oldest many times would receive a double portion. If you follow the law, they would receive more as being the oldest. So maybe this younger brother is thinking, no, I don't like that idea. I want half. Yeah, there's two of us. Cut it in half, it just makes sense. So maybe he's desiring more than what's required of the law. Maybe the, brother, the older brother is just holding back more. I am not sure. But either way, one or both are doing wrong. They are desiring more material stuff, more land, more goods for themselves. That's what they are desiring, one way or the other. Not sure the situation, but we do know that the motive is not right. Something is being held back. And I tend to think that this brother here is wanting it more cut in half, an even proportion. The only reason I lean that way is because that same word is used in Mark 16, 41, and it says, and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set them before them. The two fishes divided he among them. When it says the two fishes divided he among them, I pictured my mind, it's not like this guy gets a whole fish, this guy gets a part of fish, this guy gets a little piece. This guy gets a whole fish, this guy gets a partial, this guy gets a crumb. When I imagine this word being divided, I think it's equal. I think they're trying to deliver the same amount. Maybe dad got a double portion. <laughs> That's how the unequal gets divided in our house. Amen. <laughs> dad gets the leftover. I get the little extra. And sometimes it shows. <laughs> but this, I'm, I'm leaning on the fact that this brother, he's wanting half. So he may be going against what the law is saying. I'm just kind of leaning that way because when I think of this, how this word is used in this passage... I just get the picture that it's a little more even. It's more equal. So I had to lean that way. Doesn't mean that. Not sure, but that's kind of the way the word may lean a little bit. But either way, we do know how Christ is going to address them. That there is some motive. One way or the other. Could be both. That is not what it should be. So let's look at verse 14. In verse 14, And he said unto him, so this is Christ, responding back to the brother. So you have this company in this big group. You have this one that speaks up. Then you have Christ dealing with just this one man. He says, man, 
Who made me a judge or divider over you? You are trying to put me in the middle of this situation. Now, Christ being God, I mean, I'm sure he knew the motive and the heart. And I think we'll, we'll get to it. He cuts to the chase here a little bit. But he is trying to put out this. You are trying to insert me to exercise something to get what you want. Well, equal on the other side is, well, what does the other brother want? If he wanted more and you want more, you want me to side just on your behalf? This is like mom or dad playing referee at the house with kids. Well, he got it first and he did this. or He got more than me or she got less or whatever. She wouldn't say she got less. I wanted the more. However it is, Jesus cuts right to the chase and he speaks to this one individual and says, why are you trying to insert me over this? This same word for judge, Stephen uses twice in Acts chapter 7. In verse 27, he says, But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee ruler or judge over us? So it's kind of like one of those, I didn't get what I want, so who's going to make you decide? Now, we all like the judge if he's in our favor. But if not, we're like, well, who made you judge? This is going back to the siblings. Well, well, who left you to be boss? You're not dad. You're not mom. Can you picture kind of what's going on here? It's not so removed from my house. <laughs> but so and so. So this word for judge, there's, there's like, well, I didn't get what I want, so who made you the judge? You're questioning the authority. And then later in Acts uh, 30, 735, this Moses whom they refused, saying, who made thee ruler or a judge? The same did God send to us to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared unto him in a bush. So here that same word is used to be one a judge, one in authority. Stephen is the only one that uses this word, which I found very interesting in his message there in Acts chapter 7. But the point going here, there's, there's a quarrel, there's a disagreement, there's a little bit of maybe hint of material goods, and I want more, and if I can leverage someone to be on my side, and then I have the judge's rule, if I like his ruling, then I want to support who he is in favor. The other guy, on the other hand, is like, I don't like the what he said, and who made him judge over me? We can see how this word is used a couple different times there in Acts 7. But regardless of what it is, Christ, due to these wrong motives, addresses the heart of their issue rather than what is taking place at hand. He's there squabbling over stuff. Doesn't this happen? Someone in the family passes away. We've heard it all too often. There's a fight over stuff. There's covetousness. Sad to say it happens in our own church communities. Amongst other believers, someone passes away and there's a squabble. They're bickering over things. Possessions. He got more. You're the favorite. I knew they always liked you more. That is the situation that's taking place here. And instead of Christ dealing with a little squabble over material goods, he deals more with the heart of the issue. And we see this. Uh, if you have your, you could turn to John 8. There's a couple of verses I want to go over where we see an example of how Christ has handled this in the past. I like this because it's a very obvious example where Christ is brought to act as a judge to get a ruling in favor of a certain someone or situation. And Christ gets more to the heart of the issue. In John 8, starting with verse 4, familiar passage, they said unto him, Master, same thing, they're going to him as one having authority, over the law, one who they're trying to give respect to as a teacher. 
This woman was taken adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Do you see they're going to him? Oh, master, great teacher, here's the situation. What side are you going to be on? They're trying to test him. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to get some kind of motive in their favor and manipulate others to do what they want. And in verse 6, it basically says this. This they said, this is John 8, 6. Tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So... When they continued asking him, you can see they're badgering him. They have a motive. They have a desire. They want what they want. They're going to try and pin him down. They want to get something against this Christ. We need something to prove this guy is not a great man, teacher. All the things that they were thinking. There's no way this guy is the Messiah. There's no way this guy has the authority that he can. He can't claim all this stuff. They're trying to go against him. But Christ just bends down, writes in the ground, there and they continue asking him what is he writing not sure could be their sins could be the ten commandments could be any number of things could be the passage in Moses that they're referring to but whatever he's writing he lifted himself up and he said unto them he that is without sin among you let him first cast a stone at her this is what he's saying yes the law of Moses says to stone her She was caught red-handed, no questions asked. But in the law, it also says that there was two people involved. They are both to be stoned. So they, because of their motive, wanted a certain desire. that They wanted to catch Christ. So they are doing wrong to try and catch him doing wrong. So Christ doesn't address the issue so much as he is the heart of the issue. He's going around knowing their motive and saying, wait a minute. In the law, yes, it does say to stone her, but it says to stone really them, not just her. That's why he just answers. His answer to, hey, you're going to be a judge, you're going to have authority. What is your ruling over this? His answer is, okay, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. And if you read the rest of the context of John 8, what you find is the older ones start leaving first. Why? The older ones were wise enough to know that this whole situation was wrong. How can you enact justice when you did wrong claiming you want justice and you want things done right? Their motive was wrong to begin with. They lied and cheated. They probably set this whole situation up just to try and catch Jesus, and she happened to be the casualty. She was probably set up. Christ was aware of the situation and knew that they were not following the law the way that they should. So he just said, hey, if you haven't sinned, you cast the first stone. It could be so specific as they knew this situation, those involved. Others could think, well, yeah, I've sinned before, generally speaking. But I think they're kind of leaning on. They know this exact situation, some of them, and they decide to walk away. He's not condoning her sin. In fact, he says, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. 
but he's getting to the heart of the issue. We've seen this before. So that thought in mind of how Christ handled the situation when there's wrongdoing, wrong motive, selfishness, something I want, something I desire, and I want your authority to enact what I want, a way of manipulating, that is what's taking place. You can go back to Luke chapter 12. So due to the wrong motive, Christ addresses the heart of the issue. And so let's look at verse 15. So he said unto them, Take heed, beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Here we're going to see Christ now is addressing the rest of the company. He had this conversation with this individual. He makes a comment about being aware and taking heed of covetousness. Now he's addressing everyone. You know what? Everyone's going to learn from this. You heard this man come to me. You heard his question. I made a quick comment to him. Now I'm going to teach you all a lesson on the heart of the issue. So he tells them, take heed. This idea of taking heed is a diet to, to, to see it, to perceive. I want you to understand this truth. That's what he's saying. Take heed, watch. And what does he want them to be aware of? What does he want them to understand? He wants them to understand to beware, to watch out for covetousness. He tells them that man's life consisteth more than the abundance of things he possesseth. There's a lot more to life than what you possess, than the material possessions that you have. You, we, the whole company, he says, we need to watch out for covetousness, to desire something that you do not have, to want more than you should have. Are you not content with God's law? Are you not content with the brother got more? I'm assuming he did some wrongfully. The young guy maybe just wants to cut in half. I'm not sure. But he tells them, we all need to watch out for covetousness. It's one of the Ten Commandments. To desire something that we do not have. And I've seen it with my own kids. It's been a while. I've seen it even in the nursery. You could have two kids playing oh so sweetly in the living room, playroom, or in a nursery. One kid is playing happily with a toy. Another kid might have a couple toys in front of them. And now you know where I'm going. But what does the kid that has the multiple toys in front of them, what is the thing that they desire? What is it that that which they want? They want that one toy that the other kid is playing with. That's what they want. They've got toys right in front of them. It could be the same toy, the exact same cheap McDonald's toy. But what do they desire? They desire the one that the other kid has. And then we grow up. And instead of McDonald's toys, it's the white picket fence, the car, the house, the whatever it is. And we just grow up and we want what the other has. We desire what we don't have. Why is it that way? Just our sin nature. And all of us would struggle with this from time to time. And what Christ is telling everyone, not just this individual, what he's telling them all is we need to beware, we need to be watchful. We need to understand that covetousness, to desire material things, there's a lot more to life than stuff. That's what he's trying to communicate to them. This covetousness has the idea of greed. 
point out a couple passages as we look more specifically on covetousness. In Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. How are they walking? In the vanity of their mind, they have thoughts and thinking that is worthless. It doesn't have a lot of value in it. Why? Having their understanding darkened, being alienated, they're separated from. It's foreign to them. What is? The life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19. Who being in the past, feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness. And to work all uncleanness, here it is, with greediness. What is some worthless thought that Paul is telling this church in Ephesus? What are some things because our mind and understanding is darkened, separated from godly thought and thinking? What is this? It's greed. That word greed is the same word for covet. We just want more. It's not always just desiring something that someone else has. It's just, I really want more. I don't have enough. And sometimes it almost becomes like a game or competition. Some of the wealthiest people, they just want more because they want more than the next guy. It's just, there's no no satisfaction. There's never enough. The eyes of man are never satisfied. Paul says this in Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, a desire, a passion, except the law said, thou shalt not covet. Do we struggle with coveting, greed? We're in good company because Paul said he struggled with this. He would not have understood it had it not been a commandment. Because after, I mean, we, we want money, you need to live. We want food. You need to survive. Air is nice to breathe, okay? But the point here is, do we understand what is our greed? What is, our, is our end game more? More what? Collect more stuff so that people can fight over it when we die? Is that, is that the end of the game? Is that, is that where, where it takes us? In Colossians 3, 5, mortify therefore the members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and here it is, covetousness, which is idolatry. Wait a minute. You're coveting. You're greedy. And we're making idol? Yes, out of stuff. I don't think any of us struggle with a little wooden or metal statue above the the fireplace and the mantle. I don't think we struggle with that. But we might have an idol of a bank account, car, children, wanting our kids to be the best, which they should do their best. But I think you know what I'm saying. Are we just desiring, is, is what is it that we covet and that we are so greedy over? Are we making a God out of that? Are we beginning to worship that? Is that what we are trusting in and depending on? Are we being greedy? Are we being covetousness? In 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells this in chapter 2, to the church in Thessalonica. But as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor, listen to this, a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. 
We just wear it like a cloak. We just cover things. We just want and desire things. Paul says a lot about covetousness for himself personally and these other churches. Sometimes I think that Satan wants us to think that you are the only one that struggles with this sin. You're all by yourself. What Christ is telling this company, not just this individual, we all need to beware of coveting, desiring to be greedy. He's warning us about these things. So in verses 13 through 15, we've seen one person from the people. In verses 16 through 21, the rest of our text, we're going to see one point to a parable. What is the one point to the parable? Beware of covetousness. Beware. Watch out. And how is Christ going to do this? How is he going to teach this company about covetousness? He's going to share a parable. And I just want to give a couple intro points to a parable. Luke is filled with parables. What is the purpose of a parable? What is it? First, I'm going to give a danger with parables. When it comes to a parable, a danger that we can make is we try and make every part of the parable represent something and make this equal that, and this is what the lost coin means, and this is what the broom means, and this is what the... We can get all these meanings of all these parables. I just want to say, be careful. Be careful. We may be missing the main truth. We may be doing something different than what was intended for the teaching of the parable. Every parable has one main point that's trying to communicate. The parable is an illustration of the truth that he's trying to do. It's one main point that usually answers a question or follows a question to teach a spiritual truth through practical, real-life situation. Something that everyone can understand. Put the cookies on the bottom shelf where everyone can eat them. Okay, He's going to take a common, we're talking about sowing and reaping. Farming. Here, he's going to mention about a situation about a rich man getting more prosperous. I've heard it said this way. It's a nice summary of a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable, it's an earthly story that all of us can understand, but there's a heavenly, spiritual, biblical truth behind it. That's what it is. That's what Christ is doing. He's already told them, beware of covetousness. He's telling us the point of this parable. Hey, life is more than stuff and things. If that's what you're living for, you're going to have a miserable life because you're never going to have enough stuff. And what good is that going to do in eternity? Not going to do you any good when you can't enjoy it here on earth. So he's going to address this. So with this parable... We're going to look at an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There's a spiritual truth, one main point that he's trying to illustrate. And then look at verse 16. And he spake the parable unto them, saying. I just want to point out here, he is speaking this to them, the company, not just this individual. Christ is sharing this parable so others can understand, so they can get an idea. Another reason why he spoke in a parable, because if you're just walking by casually just listening, you probably wouldn't get it. The parable was usually, oh, you got to listen to the whole thing. Maybe understand the context of, wait, wait, was that a question? Wait, what did that guy ask? Wait, now he's sharing this parable. You know what? They've got to be linked together. It takes a little bit more thought and understanding than just, oh, because some people might just, oh, that was a great, that was a cute little story. I'll share that in junior church someday. That's a good one. 
I mean, if someone just like, oh, that's a wonderful little thought. There's a main point, but he is saying it unto them, not just the individual. This teaching is for all who are willing to think about it, to ponder the truth, and to recognize the potential consequence of what could take place with covetousness. So he says unto them, as he begins this parable, and then we pick up where the parable starts in verse 16, there in the middle. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room wherewith to bestow my fruits. Well, what have we learned about this guy already? We've learned that this man is not a name specifically. He's just a certain rich man. So it doesn't really matter who he is. That's the point here. It doesn't matter who he is, but he's rich. He's wealthy. And he brought forth plentifully. So this is a rich man who just got richer. <laughs> he's got even more wealth. What's he going to do with it? Listen, there's nothing wrong with rich people making more money. Once again, that's one of those little things where you get distracted. This is not Christ preaching against money. That's not what this is. This is what you do with the money. This is understanding what covetous is and what it can drive a person to. This is a warning. If you desire things, this can be your end. So let's not get caught up. This is not teaching money is bad and being wealthy is wrong. That's not what the teaching is here. We should not understand this passage this way. So let's continue. The rich man gets richer. And he thinks within himself, saying, what shall I do? I have no room worth to bestow my fruits. This guy is thinking he is just on top of the world right now. I've got so much stuff, I don't know what to do with it. You know what? Verse 7, he thought within himself. He's thinking to himself, self, man, I had a great harvest. Aren't I so successful? I already had lots of money, and now I have even more money. What should I do with all my wealth that I have? I'm out of room. I know. Verse 18, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. What a great idea I have. Don't you like my idea? I like it because it's mine. Do you see what this guy is doing? He is so full of himself, so greedy, so desirous of stuff. He's oozing with me and my possessions. It just flows out of him. So he's going to rip down the old barns. Why on earth would you do that for perfectly good barns? He's got lots of money. He's probably got more land. Yeah, but they're old. I need new. I need to demonstrate my wealth and my fruit. I want people to know how much I have because it's mine. I want them to know. Look at verse 18. This he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow my fruits and my goods. Wow, this guy loves himself. Wow. This guy is so thick and full of himself, he can't get his head through the door. And he needs a bigger barn to do it now. Incredible. What in the world? It's unreal. He loves himself, and boy, does he love his stuff. Look at verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, 
thou hast much goods laid up for many years. His conclusion to this, he's thinking within himself of how great he is and how wonderful he is. And he says, you know what? I've got so much stuff. I'm starting over brand new, only the best. And once I make the best and the bigger, greater, better barns than my neighbor, keeping way past the Joneses, the Joneses, who are they? I got me. Okay. And he says to himself, soul, I've got so much stuff. I don't have to do anything for years. I could kick back, get the little lemonade with the umbrella, you know, sit back in his lazy boy, whatever, watch everyone else work. He's done. He's got it made. Sipping it in the shade with the tree that, you know, he's in the shade of his own brand new barn. That's what he's thinking. Wow, he's so full of himself. This is incredible. This is a great illustration of what not to do. <laughs> in verse 19, so he has this idea with himself, and he's going to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Because you know what? I have so much stuff. I'm just going to enjoy life. He's giving no thought for the future. What happens? If, I, I care about right now. I'm happy. And the only thing I care about in the future is, I've got it made. Just relax. 401k is through the roof. House is paid for. In fact, I'm tearing down the old ones and building new ones. I got it all. Man, this guy's incredible. Let's see where it goes. Then verse 20 and 21 happens. God speaks about this rich man's desires. So this guy thinks he's doing great, wonderful. You can't get any better than I and my, my favorite party of three, because he includes himself. He is just on top of the world. This is where all of us could be tempted to go if we too had wealth. If I only had this, I would be happy. If I just had this nicer, whatever it is, what we need to ask ourselves is verses 20 and 21. God speaks about the rich man's desires. Look at verse 20. But God said unto him, so in the parable, in this teaching about covetousness, now God is inserting himself in his thoughts. What's he say about this man? He says, thou fool. He's being a fool. This night, that's obvious here. This night, thy soul shall be required of thee. That's a nice way of saying, you're going to die. What? But my barns, my stuff, my years of finally relaxing and doing nothing because I have so much. It's foolish to live for the world and all it can offer and physical possessions. If that's your drive, if that's what you're greed over, you're a fool. It's foolish. God said so. He says, this night thy soul shall require of thee, who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So what's going to happen when you die? Tonight you're going to die. Then what happens? Oh, then you get a brother complaining that there's so much stuff he wants more. He wants it divided in half. I know you're supposed to get two-thirds, but I want more. The older brother's thinking, man, we've got so much stuff. If I even just gave you a little bit, it's still more than enough for the rest of your life, but I'm going to hold back even more. Do you see where this can go? When someone dies... Where's all this stuff go? Then you got brothers fighting over it because of their covetousness, because of their greed, because of their desire for more stuff. Do you see where this is going here? So what is the conclusion? What's he saying here? We should not desire these things 
or covet goods. But we need to fear God who has the power over your life in eternity. This goes back to earlier in Luke 12. That's why I went back and gave some of the highlights. Who has the power over your life? Isn't it better to fear God than to live for the here and the now and the things of this earth? And this is where our text comes in. In 1 Timothy 6, starting with verse 6, I will read it again. But godliness with contentment. What's the key to covetousness? Being content. God, I am thankful for what I have. And though I might have been cheated from time to time, I know you can provide because I fear you more than I desire things. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Necessities. Anything above that is a blessing. Verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. When you are consumed with stuff, you are willing to run people over, take advantage of other people to get more stuff that you desire. Even if you have to run over someone else. Many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, some do, they covet. The love of money is the root of, it's not the money, it's the love for it, it's the desire, it's the greed. I've gotta have more. If someone gets my way, doesn't matter. I want more for me. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Are we going to choose to obey God and recognize how foolish it is to follow the things of this world? We can he reminds the company, we can, get, we can follow this. We can get caught with taking and desiring more stuff. And this takes us back to the boys when we put it all together. Your boys are going to fight over your stuff, verses 20. We're referring back to verse 13. And we see this referred to as fearing God in verses 4 through 5. It's better to be poor in this world as the world looks at it and be rich in God and recognize that what we have is from him. And we look at verse 21 as we close. So he that layeth up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. To save more stuff for yourself, God's heart is broken over these things. You are not rich towards God. You're only rich for yourself, and the world may covet what you have. And I will close with this passage in Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. Take heed and beware of covetousness. Father, we thank you and praise you for you being a great and wonderful God. Would you work in the hearts and lives of your children through this text? as we would learn not to covet and be greedy. It is so easy in this world to want more things. 
we live in a very materialistic society that seems like there will be no end. But as your children, would you help us to be watchful, to understand that any of us can fall into this covetous desire for material goods. Help us with your grace and with your strength to be content in the things that you allow us to have and praise you for it, living for eternity instead of today. And we will thank you and praise you for what you will do in us and through us with Christ's help. Amen. Tori. Amen. What a wonderful presentation of the scriptures. Let's all stand and open our hymn books to hymn number 156. How can it be? 156. We'll sing all three verses.
thank you so much for joining us this morning for worship. As a reminder, if you are a guest here for the first time, we'll ask that you fill out the visitor's card that you received and just drop it off in the box on the way out. Brother Pridgen, would you come forward and close us out in prayer? Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the abundance that you pour out on us. Lord, if we were honest, we have more than, than we need or we deserve, but we thank you for it. May we never forget that it all comes from your hand. May we go through the week singing, I'd rather have Jesus. We ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing. Have your spirit guide us through the week and make us a light in this dark world. And we give you all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.